Good morning, church. I hope you came hungry because we've got some wonderful passages from the Word of God to look at today. So, uh, welcome. Glad you all uh, could make it. I guess you didn't get totally drowned out by the rain. Uh, I just got back from California, so I hope you appreciate it. In my suitcase, I put sunshine. You saw it yesterday. Open up the suitcase. It was beautiful in California. Uh, we were there for the, um, the Senior Pastors Conference for Calvary Chapel, and it was a great, refreshing time for me. So I thought I, of you all, and I brought back some sunshine. So I hope you enjoyed that Saturday for yourselves. Uh, again, welcome. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, then we would love to get one into your hands. Re- put your hand up nice and high. Uh, today they're on sale, so the guys in the back are bringing them forward. The low, low price of free. You can have it if you need it, keep it. Uh, if, you didn't, if you don't own one, please feel free to take that. Hands up nice and high. John, Gospel of John, first chapter, is where we'll be today. Let us begin our study with prayer. Lord, uh, here we are. A thousand places we could have been this morning. A thousand things on our to-do list that are going undone right now. Because, Lord, we're here confessing that we desire the eternal more than the temporary. And 99% of the things on our lists, Lord, have nothing to do with eternity. So here we are, Lord. We've carved out this time, hopefully among other time, to just sit at Your feet, Lord. To just cultivate the one relationship that is above all relationships while we are in this body and into eternity, and that's our relationship with the living God. Lord, we are here because we are hungry. We are here because we are needy. And we are here because we recognize that our flesh is strong, Lord, and we want our spirits to be strong. We don't want to neglect the very thing um, that feeds us. So, Lord, we are here in Your name as Your people waiting on You, Lord hoping that, that we will hear a word fitly spoken, Lord, that will strengthen us for the tasks you have ahead of us, Lord. So, Father, our, our, our mouths are open wide. Our hearts, our ears, all ready to hear, Lord. And, and two, I pray, obey what we find out, what we discover. So, Lord, take our hearts, take our minds, take our, our thoughts, Lord, and bring them all into captivity to you. And we pray all of this in the name of the eternal Son, Jesus Christ. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Well, the Gospel according to John. For me, it's an interesting time because this happens to be, uh, having been motivated by hearing Calvary Satellite Network on the radio uh, some 15 years ago, the Gospel of John is the first Bible study I ever taught verse by verse. So it's kind of neat to have come full circle through the New Testament and back to the Gospel of John as we finished up the pastoral epistles, just praying, Lord, what do you want to um, speak to your people in this season at this time? And clearly there was a lot of unity about the Gospel according to John. Now the first question we have to ask ourselves is what's a gospel? And most of you have been around a while, you know. But just in case there are some, this language is kind of new. Gospel simply means good news. And so hey, during 
this next year we spend or so in the Gospel of John, you will see the good news. Matter of fact, I've titled the, the whole study in the Gospel of John, Come and See. Come and see. Because if you see, I know you'll believe. And you'll believe it's good news. You'll see the good news of Jesus Christ. You're open to the Gospel of John. Page all the way to the end of it, if you would. Chapter 20. Actually, chapter 20. The last verse in chapter 20. Come and see. Come and see what? Come and see who Jesus is. Come and see who God is. And this is what John says. This is why he wrote. This gives us a little bit of clue. clue. John chapter 20, verse 30 says, And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. So this is not an all-inclusive or conclusive outline and, and narrative of the life of Jesus. But the things that John highlighted were very purposeful. So they're in this book. But this is not everything he did. There's a bunch of stuff Jesus did that's not recorded. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. And that life you will see here in chapter 1. You'll see it all through the Gospel of John. Life is a very, very important thing uh, to point out for, for John. And we'll see that repeated. That's not, uh, there's a number of different words for life in Greek. We just say life. But th- there's biological life uh, and there's spiritual life. And zoe is the, the Greek word for life. And it means sort of everlasting life. The life that, tra- that transcends the biological life. And that's what John is concerned about for you. We all have biological life. We're here and we're breathing and we're listening, hopefully, and not sleeping just yet. But do you have spiritual life? Well, that's what John wants to make sure that as you come and see that you can believe and have life in his name. So back to chapter 1. Some of you also know that, um, again, if you've been around just paving the way here, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke called synoptic gospels. Have you heard that term before, synoptic? Okay, just nod your head if you have. Okay, synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they, uh, synoptic means to see together. They are, are fairly uh, uniform, fairly parallel in, in what they record. John's gospel, however, is quite a bit different from the others. John uh, introduces us to Jesus with seven I am statements. I'm living water, and I'm the door, and, and so on and so forth. We'll, we'll see those as we go through. And, and, and certain miracles that John points out that other, the other Gospels uh, do not include. So John's writing very specifically um, about a certain, certain things um, so that you might believe that Jesus is who he said he is. And boy, chapter 1 is not going to leave us disappointed. So I took a lot more notes today for myself than usual because this is, I got to be honest and confess that even coming to teach this first portion in chapter one uh, is almost an overwhelming task. We're going to be talking about eternal things and heavenly things and things that really escape our finite understanding. And so we come as every person on the face of the earth comes to eternal things by faith. Whether you're a scientist 
or a theologian, you come by faith. Because no one was there when the universe came into being. And we'll talk about that as we go through. So I come saying, hey, you know, hang with me here. These are heavy. John writes these things in, in simple sentences to explain the truth of who Jesus is. Yet they're so profound, it's almost overwhelming to come and, and be actually conveying these truths to you this morning. So uh, we'll be patient with me. Uh, I will do my best to, um, to make it simple and not more confusing. Are we ready? John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, uh, chapter, or verse 6 through verse 13 is sort of a, a parenthetical discussion of, of John the Baptist. So jump down with me to verse 14. It's the most natural uh, to kind of include that with what we're doing. So um, from verse 5, we jump down to verse 14, continuing the discussion about the Word. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In the beginning is how John begins. And what a good way to begin in the beginning. That's a good place to begin. And that's where Mark begins. Mark's gospel says, in the beginning of the gospel. Mark, the gospel writer, uh, presents to us... uh, the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry, introducing Jesus, and he's really more concerned with the ministry of Jesus. Luke begins in the life of Jesus with Joseph and traces it back to Adam. And his focus is clearly on the humanity of Jesus. He, he's the one that records, behold, the man, uh, during the trial of Jesus. Matthew connects people to Jesus through the lineage of David, the king of Israel, and is concerned with the royalty of Jesus. But it's John that goes back to before the beginning and connects us clearly to the divinity of Jesus, that Jesus is God. And that's what he wants us to know. So he says, in the beginning was the Word. Now, what have you learned was in the beginning? You know, I was a biology major in college, and I learned a lot of stuff about the beginning. Because there's a whole view of what happened in the beginning. The beginning of what? Well, the beginning of everything. Uh, clearly, I think John is trying to connect us back to Genesis 1.1. Wouldn't you agree? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But again, you have to recognize there's this whole alternate view that does not necessitate God. The scientific community has worked very hard to explain in the beginning without the presence of God. And so you have to recognize that's what I uh, was introduced to as a biology major. I was introduced to that in high school, then went on to college and, and studied biology and introduced to all of these uh, understandings. And for me, that was just, hey, these are scientists. They know what's best. You know, I just take it on faith. I, I believe them. And then I became a Christian. And then I started to think about things I had been learning and, and how they fit in with other things I was learning, and, and 
began to question, you know, what really did happen in the beginning? I mean, again, nobody, were you there in the beginning? I wasn't there. Here's a couple things I I wrote down, uh, some quotes I got. Although astronomers understand what the universe was like just a few seconds after the Big Bang, they do that through uh, pictures like the Hubble um, telescope and those kind of things can let them see light that emanated from just after the Big Bang occurred. Um, They can see what happened a few seconds after, but no one yet knows what happened at the instant of the Big Bang or what came before, what powered the Big Bang. I mean, if you can't create, if matter and energy can't be created or destroyed, then where did that initial energy come from? Where did all the stuff in the universe come from in the first place? What was the universe like just before the Big Bang? No one knows how the first space, time, and matter arose, and scientists are grappling with even deeper questions. If there was nothing to begin with, then where did the laws of nature come from? How did the universe know how to proceed? And why do the laws of nature produce a universe that is so hospitable to life? As difficult as these questions are, scientists are attempting to address them with bold new ideas and new experiments to test those ideas. Now, the source for that, for those things, and they go on to offer some some, uh, different explanations. The source for that is the universe form produced for NASA by the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. So I'd say those questions are happening at all levels, uh, definitely in the scientific community. And you, know, you can study for hours and hours and hours on these things, and there's so much information that I'm not going to bore you with all of that. But here's what clearly is, is discussed by John, that what happened in the beginning matters. Let me say that again. What happened in the beginning matters. You see, we tend to think in the present, or maybe even the future, depending on where you are in life. If you're younger, maybe you're focused more on the present. If you're older, maybe you're thinking about your future, the future of your kids and that kind of thing. And so we are beginning, you know, that was a long time ago. Does it really matter? I mean, who cares? Is it really important what happened at the beginning? Let me tell you, it could be the most important question that you ever ask or answer for your entire life and the life of your whole family. What happened at the beginning? You see, if it's true and the beginning happened devoid of God and, and somehow nothing was able to create something, wouldn't you love that if nothing could create something? I mean, if you can get some, I'd love to open the microwave, put nothing in, close it, turn it on, and open it again and get something out. Wouldn't that be wonderful if you could go to your bank and deposit nothing and find that something is then in the bank? But we, we, we don't see nothing is nothing, so it doesn't create something. So I have found that the biblical version of the beginning takes a lot less faith to believe than the scientific version that somehow matter was just there and, and it's necessary for everything else to, to take place in the scientific version, but without exp- they still don't know where that matter came from. Well, John is here to tell them where it came from, isn't he? So if there's no God, then there's no morality then there's no purpose. If, if the Big Bang was just this chance uh, circumstance of events that happened and everything came together at the right way and the right time, then guess what? Life has no purpose, no meaning other than what we ascribe to it. And that can easily lead uh, down to paths of depression, discouragement, uh, misunderstanding of all kinds of things, of who we are, of why we're here, all of these questions, the question for your very life and your existence comes down to this question. 
In the beginning, was there something or was there nothing? And how you answer that will change your life. And I hope this morning that you see what John is saying. He says, in the beginning, there was something. It wasn't completely devoid of of anything. There was something. And what was this something? It was the Word. You see, literally you would write that, in the beginning, the Word had been. The The Word already existed before there was a beginning. It's eternal. Well, what do, why doesn't he, we're talking about Jesus here. We know that, right? Because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we see what John is trying to say. So why didn't, just say, why didn't John just say, in the beginning was Jesus? That would have made it a lot simpler. What, what's he talking about? The word. Well, it's the Greek word, logos, L-O-G-O-S. We pronounce it logos. And I don't want to bore you with a lot of language stuff, but this would have been a very familiar word to Greek uh, people. That, were, uh, that understood philosophy. Just like to you, I can say, what if, uh, you know, I can say Big Bang, and you go, yeah, Big Bang, we know Big Bang. Well, to the Greek person reading this letter, they would have understood the concept of the logos. Now, here's what they understood about it. It means word, and it can also mean reason or intelligence. So it's very uh, in line with intelligent design. The logos is intelligence. So it, it literally means to lay beside, like putting words in an order that form then speech. To form sentences, to form speech with language takes intelligence. It takes reason to put together. So that's where logos, not just simply meaning word, but also meaning speech or intelligence. The Stoics spoke of the logos as the seminal reason, meaning uh, sort of the, the first cause through which all things came to be, by which all things were ordered, and to which all things returned. Heraclitus, a a Greek uh, philosopher, said, he he noticed this, the world is constantly changing, yet it's not in chaos. The world had purpose and pattern and was not random. There was a knowledge of right and wrong. And all of these things they attributed to this logos, or this intelligence, this divine intelligence that sort of brought everything into being. Heraclitus said the Logos was nothing less than the mind of God controlling the world and everyone in it. That was what he said. Now, their concept of God is what John is trying to refine for them. Now, lest you think that was just old guys that didn't understand much and so they thought that. This is a book called The Mind of God by Paul Davies. Not a Christian, uh, a book about um, cosmology and, and physics and mathematics. And this is what he says in his book, He says, nevertheless, the overall organization of the universe has suggested to many a modern astronomer an element of design. Thus, James Jeans, who proclaimed that the universe appears to have been designed by a pure mathematician, and it begins to look more like a great thought than like a great machine, also wrote, we discover that the universe shows evidence of a designing or controlling power that has something in common with our own individual minds, not so far as we have discovered emotion, morality, or aesthetic appreciation, but the tendency to think in the way which, for want of a better word, we describe as mathematical. So what scientists discover today is that for some reason, the universe could have been any way that it, it could have been. It could have been anything, but yet somehow mathematics and, and, um, and order apply to the world we live in. You can set your watch by it. The seasons come and go with regularity. The planets can be predicted. That's how, you know how we get uh, a spacecraft to the moon? 
It's because Isaac Newton discovered the mathematical equation that would tell them where the moon was going to be at a certain time where the rocket would get there. I mean, it'd be a shame if they got it wrong and like they just kind of, they just missed it. You know, woo, off we go. <laughs> there goes the moon. Ah, we, we were off just a little bit. No, they can, they can predict it precisely so that, that the, the spacecraft can land there on the moon. Why? Because the world that we live in, the universe, is orderly. And that was their concept. That's still the concept of, of mathematicians, cosmologists, astronomers, all understanding that there is this order. And that was their explanation was, hey, this is the word. And he's saying, hey, the word, that thing, that intelligent designer, that was none other than Jesus Christ who existed before the beginning. Okay? Are you with me? Okay. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. The Word was with God. The Word was with God. It's the Greek word that means face-to-face or to have association with. To be in relationship with. And what this shows us is that you have God... And you have the Word, or Jesus, and that they were, before time began, before matter was created, they were in fellowship with one another. And we're we're dancing into uh, what we call in the church the Trinity. The Trinity. This is what John writes, uh, actually Jesus spoke, John 17, 5. Don't, don't, Don't go there, I'll just read it to you. John 17, 5. And now, O Father, Jesus speaking, Glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. John 17, 5. And the word was with God. Fellowship, even important in the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. The fact that there is our relationships, even our our God is a relational God. Now, we can't understand these things. How How was Jesus God and with God? I don't, I don't know. I mean, that, that escapes me, personally. That escapes you, probably, unless you're uh, able to grasp these things in a way that very few people can, if any. Uh, but we know that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. But we don't stop there. John also says, and the Word was God. Well, that's helpful. Now the Word was with and was. How can you be with something that you are? Again, the mystery of the Trinity. We don't understand how these things can be doesn't work out in our mind, literally would have said, and God had been the Word. Now John writes these things very specifically, and there's something he's communicating to us, and we have to understand it. Literally, again, our Bible records it, and the Word was God. But in, in Greek, it would have been ordered a little bit differently. It would have said, literally, God was the Word. Same stuff but different. Same nature, but different. See, he didn't say, and the Word was the God, which would have made they were... See, if the Word was with God and the Word was God, then the danger is that then when we say, and and God came to earth, took on human form, then heaven would have been empty. But so what John is trying to say by not using a, uh, the, the article in the, in the language that would have made them the same, exact same being, 
What he's saying is that they're the same in essence, but they're different. I don't, that's clear as mud, is it not? Let me, let me read this. According to hard sayings of the Bible, the word was God means that the word was divine, or more literally, the word was all that God was. In other words, the text is indicated that the word had all of the qualities of God. But yet when, when Jesus took on earthly form, God the Father was still in heaven. The Word had all the qualities of God. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3, one of my favorite passages says this, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in, times, in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by His Son whom He appointed heir of all things through whom also He made the worlds. We got that, or we're going to get that in a minute. Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person who being the the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, what does all that mean? The express image, you can write if you like to take notes in your Bible and you like to write notes in your columns there. The express image means the exact copy. An exact copy. And again, this is hard to put in human words, but he says it's an exact copy. You, You and I might say a clone. The exact copy of what? Of his person. Now again, I'm going to take you back to the Greek. I hate to do this to you, but it's, it's kind of important. The Greek word for, per, for person uh, is hypostasis, and it means to stand under. Something that stands under something else, like a foundation under a building. Something that undergirds, or an underlying principle, or an underlying essence, or an underlying philosophy. That which stands under the outward form. Something's nature. So Jesus is the exact nature, representation, underlying character and essence of God. Exactly. Precisely. Almost like, a, like you would say a clone. But that probably falls short in our human reasoning, but that's maybe as close as we can get. So when you look at Jesus, when we look at, if we could take you, I mean, are you the body you live in? Is there more to you than just the physical body that you live in? And you have a character. You have an underlying essence of who you are that's contained in that body. And if we could boil that down, if we could strip that out from your body, get rid of the, the flesh part and say, here's the essence of who you are. And put that in something else. That, that's kind of the, the closest I can get. The whole Maybe you've heard the Trinity is like water. It can be ice. It can be steam. It can be water. That's so far from being close. Or it's like an egg. You know, an egg's got the, the shell and the white and the yolk. Those are, so, those are terrible um, explanations of the Trinity. They're awful explanations of the Trinity. Because the shell and the yolk and the white are all different. And so, it, but we, we try to explain these things and they're very difficult. But look at what the writer of Hebrews is saying. Jesus is everything in essence that God is just in a human, in human body. But before he had human body, he still existed in eternity. And that's why he goes on to say, well, actually, before we go on, I want to make one note. If you've ever hung around with or had opportunity to discuss this with Jehovah's Witnesses, they change this a little bit because they want to uh, write away the divinity of God. So what they say this says is, well, um, and the word was a God. 
And, and I could, I have gobs of information on Greek and Greek grammatical rules and things like that. Just suffice it to say that every notable Greek scholar thinks that's hogwash. It just does not work out in the Greek language because of the Greek rules that exist. So you can be confident. I could give you the information, but just know this. And the word was God. Divine. Everything, in essence, that God is. Are we, are we together on that? But there, that could be confusing. So he goes on to say he was in the beginning with God. That means that Jesus didn't just come into being in the, during the incarnation at the first Christmas. That wasn't the beginning of Jesus. Jesus already existed eternally in heaven with God. He was in the beginning with God. He was already there. He didn't separate. He didn't, uh, wasn't created at that time. He already existed. Are we together still? So we learned about now, this is, that was Jesus' relationship to God. And now Jesus' relationship to uh, the creation comes next. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. So who created everything? God did it through Jesus. All things were made through him. And without him, nothing was made that was made. So when we talk about in the beginning, we understand that the, we live in a world that was created by a God of love and of order. Robert Jastrow, NASA scientist, uh, a couple of things he said. At this moment, it seems as though science will never be able to raise the curtain on the mystery of creation. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He is about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he is greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. Same fellow, Robert Jastrow is a NASA scientist, cosmologist, astronomer. In, the, in an interview with Christianity Today, he said, astronomers now find they have painted themselves into a corner because they have proven by their own methods that the world began abruptly in an act of creation to which you can trace the seeds of every star, every planet, every living thing in this cosmos and on the earth. And they have found that all this happened as a product of forces they cannot hope to discover. That there are what I or anyone would call supernatural forces at work is now, I think, a scientifically proven fact. You can give that a hand. That's cool. That's cool. Hey. Colossians 1, 15-17 says, Christ is the exact likeness of the unseen God. He existed before God made anything at all. And in fact, Christ himself is the creator who made everything in heaven and earth. The things we can see and the things we can't. I love that. That God created stuff we can't see. He didn't give you the, the eye capacity to see it. The spirit world with its kings and kingdoms. Its rulers and authorities. All were made by Christ for his own use and glory. He was before all else began. And it is, it is his power that holds everything together. Amen. So are you getting a higher view of Christ? I mean, this ought to be blowing. Like right now there should be like things happening in your brain, like parts waking up that have never been awake before in your brain. Like, whoa, this is blowing my mind. All things became through him. That's literally what it means. All things became through him. And without him, nothing came into being. 
Now, this is one of my favorites. In him was life. Circle that, underline it, highlight it, memorize it, hang it on the fridge, get it on your license plate. In him was life. You see, even if you had matter, even if you had, you know, uh, chemicals or a premortal slime or whatever, even if you had all those building blocks for life, it doesn't mean you have life. You think about Frankenstein, all these parts and pieces that Dr. Frankenstein puts together and then he he sews them all up and he raises it up through his laboratory and he lightning strikes and, you know, it is alive. And, and, And he says, and I am like God, giving life. That's what, that's what the whole, do you see what the whole thing is about? This is, mankind wants to be God. Or we want to think that somehow we can recreate life in a test tube. Have never been able to do it. Have never been able to do it. Any experiments in the past that showed that, well, maybe we can create some things, all shown to not really be effective. I'll let you do the scientific work on that. Because life always comes from life. Science teaches you that. You can't have life without already having life. I know every one of you in here has parents. I, do. I, don't have to know. I don't have to know them. You may not know them. Maybe you're adopted. Maybe you're, you were abandoned at young. You don't know where your parents are, don't know who they are. Some loving family took you in and raised you as their own. Maybe you didn't like your parents. Maybe they were hard on you, but they existed. And I know they existed even without seeing them. Why? Because you exist. Your existence is the proof of your parents' existence. Our life is the proof of some preexistent eternal life that we got all of our life from. This is the essence of what John is saying uh, as he speaks to the, uh, the Oropagus, the, the Greeks in Athens. In him we live and move and have our being. It takes more faith. See, science tells us that you always get life from life. Does not science say it's the law of biogenesis, that you have to have life to get life. Louis Pasteur proved that stuff just doesn't spontaneously appear. There's a seed, there's an egg, there's something there that has life in it that life comes from. So to believe in life without God is to believe a greater miracle than creation. Are are you with me on that? In Him is everlasting life. If you're looking for life, if you want to live, And you know, I'm not talking about two cars in the garage and three squares a day and a nice house and a big TV and an iPod and iPad and this and that. That's not life. That's stuff. Don't ever confuse stuff with life. Remember the the guy that, hey, tonight your your life is, your soul is required of you. You He's going to build barns and bigger barns and, and bigger barns for all of his stuff. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So uh, come and see. In him was life. Uh, and life. And the life was the light of men. John is fascinated by light and darkness, right and wrong, truth and lies. And to have light is to, uh, to see, to know what's what, to understand the world you live in, to know what's right and wrong. And I hope we are a place, this is a place where people can come in that we've not been so influenced by the world that we've lost track of what's right and wrong. This is the danger we face. I, I like this story. A guy walks into a dentist's office and he says, I think I'm a moth. 
The dentist replies, well, you shouldn't be here. You should be seeing a psychiatrist. The guy says, well, I am seeing a psychiatrist. The dentist says, well, then what in the world? Why did you come in here? He says, well, the light was on. (laughs) Think about it a minute. Think about it. Or maybe it's just not that funny. I don't know. Drawn to the... Never mind. The Bible says, let your light so shine that people see your good deeds and they glorify God. I I pray that we are so Christ-like that people are drawn to Christ as we lift him up, as as we are his body in the world, that people see the light and they come. And, they, and we won't have to beg them so hard, convince them, and, and reason with them. Hey, they just see the light. And that's why I title, come and see. That's what I beg people. You can't explain it sometimes. Just, you know what? Just, just come and see. Just come. See. The life was the light of men. We've been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and ushered in to the kingdom of light. We can see. In him was life, light was the light of men, and the, la- the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That's a funny wording. Again, you might say rather than comprehend, it would be to seize or to overtake. Another uh, person explained it as to extinguish. Isn't that great news? You know, you can, uh, the light is, is the dominant force. You can have a dark room. You can go into a cave, darkest place you can be on earth, in, in a cave, underground, and you can have a teeny little flashlight. Or a little match. Strike it, and guess what? The darkness can't put it out. We we don't turn, hey, can you turn the darkness off, please? We don't come in here, the lights, hey, can you, the lights, can can someone turn the darkness off, please? No, we turn the light on. It's light that's in control. The darkness, listen, this is so important, because we think darkness is overcoming. I wonder if it's because we put our light under a basket. Because it's us that determine the, the nature and the way that this world goes. It's us, Christ, the light of Christ in us that really sets the stage for the whole world. That's the reality. Darkness can't win as long as the light is shining. Isn't that true? So the question is, is the light shining? Are we shining? Or do we just continue to stand and watch the, the tube and yell at the darkness? Oh, it's so dark in this world. I can't believe how dark it's getting. It's getting darker, I think. I think pretty soon it's going to be completely dark. Well, then shine. Church, shine. Amen? Are we in agreement on that? Let's do more than be in agreement on it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Well, the darkness could not, did not, and, and as far as Christ goes, did the darkness, they tried to extinguish him, didn't they? Were they able to? They just made him brighter. So it is with the church. The more they try to extinguish us, the brighter we shine. Now, the money verse, verse 14. This is, this is just absolutely, having come from where we've come from, this is incredible. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is, is unfathomable. That that preexistent word, through whom everything was created, by whom everything exists for and is held together, actually, at a point in time, came into physical being. We call it Christmas. 
took on human flesh, humbled himself, Philippians 2 tells us, even to, to the point of death, not just any death, the most humiliating death, death of the cross. He came to where we are so he could take us to where he came from. He came on a mission. The word became flesh and and dwelt among us. He was here. And we beheld his glory. John says, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. But what do you say about that? what, What can I comment about that? Here's what I'll say. And then we'll close with this. Uh, we're building a, we have a building project going on. Again, I, please excuse my human analogy. It's very difficult <laughs> to explain these things. But this is what it's meant for me personally. Uh, I'm not a great two-dimensional guy. You know, I, I'm like, I got to touch something. to Like, I got to get my hands on it. Anybody else like that? You just, you can explain it to me all day long. I can watch you do it. But until I get my hands on it, I don't really understand it. And I think God is sort of like that. You know, um, this, this eternal word, this eternal reasoning, intelligence, all embodied in Jesus Christ. When we started this building process, there's a group of us uh, that started just thinking about what, what was the vision going to be for the church property. And so we just thinking about, talking about these things. We were reasoning. And then at some point, then we put it on paper. We designed it. And we used an architect to help us lay it out on paper. And I, was, and I look at the paper and I go, Okay, well, that's wonderful. I'm not sure I understand what all that means, but it sounds good to me. Okay, whatever. I can't really visualize it. I can see it on paper. But now it's being built. And by the end of the year, we'll be able to walk in it. And we'll be able to see what we read about or what we could see on the paper. You know, we read the Word. It's two-dimensional. It's words on a piece of paper. And sometimes that's hard for us to comprehend what that looks like. And for John, he's saying that, you know, but there's, there's, for them, they got to touch, to inspect, to hang out with. He was here. And now I get it. I understand. If you ever have a question about what God is like, he's exactly like Jesus Christ. And, And every, what do I do about this? What would God do about that? How does God deal with hurting people? How does God deal with lepers? How does God deal with unclean? Is he merciful? All these questions that we have to ask, we can touch and feel and see in reality, in real time, in the life of Jesus Christ. He came to show you who God is. Because there's a lot of rumors, aren't there? There's a lot of misinformation about what God is like. And you've heard them, and I've heard them. And Jesus came for a number of reasons. One of those things was to bring the truth of what God is like. And in doing that, he revealed another huge truth. You know what that was? He revealed what man was like. And how far we are from God so far that when God came, we killed him. We so didn't want him in our lives. They so didn't, you know, people love their evil deeds and they crucified the, the beautiful one. But John is, that's another story for another time. John is taken up with the fact that the Word became flesh. Here He was, dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Full of grace 
and truth. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that more uh, at another time. Um, heavy stuff, good stuff. You, um, let's pray. And then as we, um, uh, Phil, you're going to come forward and, and sing a, with the praise team, come forward and, and sing a final song. And then I'll, uh, as, after we pray, to prepare us for uh, this final song, I have one, one thought. So let's pray. Lord, you are uh, overwhelming us uh, with the understanding of who you are, of who Jesus is, and what that means to us, Lord, that our origins matter, that how the beginning of, of the world was created, it matters. Lord, we believe that you are, and that you are a rewarder of those that diligently seek you. We believe that you alone are holding this universe together, Lord, that if you took your hand off, the the thing would just fly into oblivion. And Lord, that you've created it for your purposes, to pour out your love, to show people who you are. And you dwelt among us, Lord. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. So, Father, just take what we've learned today and and use it to the good of our souls. In Jesus' name, And all God's people said, amen.